Well, we're continuing then in our um, series today in the book of James. We've been going through this for a few weeks. And, you know, through this, we've been learning that faith is just really practical. It touches every part in your life and every thought you have and every action and choice. It's, It's all formed by our faith. And today we're going to be going through a lot of verses, but it all leads to one conclusion. That faith is to lead us toward humble submission of God. And submission is one of those words uh, that we usually view in a negative sense. We view it as kind of giving up, giving up our control and our independence. And I remember growing up, uh, me and my brother, we were two years apart, he's two years older than me, we'd often wrestle with one another. And I was always the younger one, the weaker one. And so we're always in this position where I was pinned to the floor and he'd say, you know, cry uncle. Or do you give up now? He's rubbing my face into the, to the ground and finally say, I yield, I give up. And that was typically our kind of view of submission. Now, eventually I got bigger than my brother. And there's one wrestling match in which I won, and then he didn't want to play anymore. <laughs> so I am the mo- I'm the most recent one to win that. But <clears throat> Submission is one of those things we always have this negative view. But when it comes to submission to God, it's just, humble submission. It's not us simply giving up, but us realizing that God is offering us an opportunity to submit to him. Because everything he has for us is for our good, is for our betterment. But we have our way of seeing the world. We want to do things the way we understand. And so that leads to hardship when we stray from God's special plan and guidance for us. So as many of you know, I I have uh, uh, a passion for fishing. Uh, it's what I love to do in my free time. And 10 years ago, I bought a boat. Here's a couple of pictures of me and Mason enjoying that boat a couple of years apart. He's kind of growing up in it. And I bought this boat used. Right, let me rephrase that. I bought this boat very used. And it's uh, both the boat and the motor are from the 70s. But it's really served us well. And the motor on this boat has taken me everywhere I wanted to go. Even though it's from the 70s, it's old, a Mariner, 40-horse, two-cycle engine. It starts in the first or second pole almost every time. And that's for good reason, because this thing is so so much compression. If I had to pull it more than about three or four times, I'd probably collapse. But it's worked for me. And there's only been one instruction I've had to follow, printed on the boat motor, says, put in gas at a mixture of 40 to 1, uh, fuel to oil. And so I faithfully measure it out and pour it in the gas tank every time, and it's been working. I love this boat. Served me well. So I could say to myself, I want to give this boat a special treat. Instead of fuel, I'm going to put in chocolate syrup. Because we can all agree, right? Fuel is not very good, but chocolate syrup... That's better than fuel. I could pour it in the tank, and very quickly we'd have disaster. That's how life works. We don't want to submit to the way things were designed for us. That God has a perfect way the world was created, but we might think better. And we could all agree together that it's better, but it's not. And that's what we're going to be reading through today is that, that this, 
this independence, this strength from God's will and his word leads to problems. And specifically today, we're going to be talking about quarrels among people. We don't know what this church was going through, but we could guess. It's probably similar things to what we go through. Well, what the bottom line of real life issues is that when you stray from God and you do not submit to his design for the world, there's going to be issues. Maybe in quarrels for your own life, it could be quarrels of siblings fighting in the home, road rage out there. Maybe it's just silent bitterness. And for some of you, you might say, that was my commute to church this morning. All of those things. But it plays out in so many different ways. But the the bottom line here is that we don't submit to God's way for our life. Now, I'm going to split up the text in three different sections because we see really this compare and this contrast among three primary things in our life. It's, It's how we think, our perspective of the world. We can follow God's way of wisdom or the world's way of wisdom. And then what we love, our our deepest affections, is it that you have a friendship with God or a friendship with the world? And then finally, how we talk. Is it godly speech or is it worldly speech? And the first section is going to be in James 3, 13 through 18, as we talk about two kinds of wisdom, this compare and contrast between the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God. And it reads as this. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done, and the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such, quote, wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Now, I don't know how um, you all learn, but I learned best from kind of looking at things from the highest level and comparing and contrasting. And so I created uh, a chart that will kind of give you this this whole overview. Now, some of you might be really excited about this if you're a nerd like me. Some of you, this may not help at all. But just kind of just look at this from the high level before we really go through it. Is that worldly wisdom and godly wisdom both have a source a motivation, and an end result. And they couldn't be more opposite of one another. Worldly wisdom comes from hell itself. And it's driven by our selfish desires. And the end result of that is disorder or chaos and and every kind of evil. Worldly wisdom or false wisdom leads to death. On the other hand, we have godly wisdom, where the source is heaven. It's it's God himself who speaks true wisdom. It's fueled by our humility and our belief that God knows more than us as we submit to that. And the end result of that is peace and righteousness, or life. 
we look at worldly wisdom, we see all these things spelled out in the text here. That if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. For such wisdom, again, that's false wisdom, does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. This is another one where James is, is saying more than he's really saying. He's referring to all of this around wisdom back to the very beginning, as we saw in last week's test, text as well. That he's talking about the very creation of the world. That the world was created in God's wisdom to operate inside of his wisdom, just like my 40-horse mariner. It was created around an idea of being a two-cycle engine, and it will only operate optimally in those conditions. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He spoke it to be in existence. And at the end of every day, God said, it was good. And on the last day, he created people. And all of this was before God, and he said it was very good. And the word here for good is a Hebrew word that doesn't mean morally good, but it means that everything was perfect or it was as intended to be by God. Everything in the world, all of creation, was working according to his wisdom without the slightest deviance. It was good until Genesis 3. When the serpent comes in, he slithers in, and he tempts Eve to say, is that what God really said? And now he's tempting people to undermine and ignore God's wisdom. And then we led to sin, which resulted in death. And Satan has had the same playbook ever since. In a variety of ways, he tries to undermine God's wisdom. The very source of false wisdom is hell. And it's motivated now by this, this, this selfishness to put yourself before others and ultimately to put yourself before God. All of, of this false wisdom is motivated by one simple rule. Me first. Worldly Wisdom measures everything by how it will affect you with no concern for anyone else, especially God. And so the residual question that we ask through the lens of worldly wisdom is, what can I get out of this? And James says this kind of thinking is from the devil himself. Now, in order for the world to operate, in order for the church to operate, even for our families to operate, there needs to be a sense of putting self, others before yourself. And imagine for a moment growing up in a house with seven people in one bathroom. Now, I can speak from experience. That was reality for my household for about a week growing up. I have five, there's five of us siblings total with my two parents. And one of our bathrooms was out of commission for about a week. And we all had to very strategically take turns in that bathroom for everything to work. But worldly wisdom would say, you know what? I like that bathroom. I like having it whenever I want. And I don't care how it affects anyone else. So I could have put on a special lock where only I have the key. I can take my half-hour-long shower and drain the hot water heater and keep it all to myself. It would be chaos 
very quickly. And that's the end result of this kind of wisdom. To the furthest extent is absolute chaos. That's another word there for disorder in verse 16. That there's disorder and evil of every kind. Society would absolutely collapse if everyone followed this kind of wisdom. And essentially what we're reading in verse 16 is that everything difficult and painful and evil that we experience in this life is because you or someone else strayed away from the ways of God and fell into sin. Satan rejoices in us rejecting the wisdom of God because that in itself is the very basis of evil and sin that leads to death. But God offers us a better way. As we read in verses 17 and 18, he offers us his wisdom as we read that the wisdom, and this is talking about the true wisdom of God, that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Wisdom itself comes from God. And that's the whole basis of humble submission is we understand that this wasn't our idea. This wasn't our intellectual pursuits, but God gifts us with his wisdom. It's given to us. And this is a callback all the way to the beginning of James chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, that it says, If any of you are without wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. God wants you to have his wisdom. And the basis of wisdom is knowing God, knowing his heart, his mind, and his will, and then acting on it. Wisdom comes from God, and it leads us to a place of humility. That's our motive now, is to be humble before God, which plays out in a variety of ways. And we see eight specific characteristics here in verse 17, that wisdom, first of all, is pure, and that means that it is integral, it is true. It's not a half-truth, it's not mostly truth, it is all true. And our hearts, then, should be one that is, is, is chasing after that full truth of God without compromise. That it's peace-loving. And we see arguments pop up because some people just like to argue. They like to be divisive and stir the pot. But, but those who are operating under God's wisdom knows that peace should always be our first pursuit. And not in the compromise of truth, but rather in the presence of truth. That you're considerate as you are mindful of the demands on others. You're submissive, that you're willing to learn from others namely God, and you're full of mercy. And this means that you have a compassion on those who are in distress. You don't use their low position for your advantage, but you have mercy on people where they are. You're full of good fruit. This is the practical nature of wisdom that leads to action. That you're impartial it means treating everyone around you equally with no favorites, and that you're sincere. And that's a very important final word of all of this, is, is all of this becomes an authentic part of who you are. It's not to posture over other people or to be proud in yourself, 
but you're sincere and authentic before God. Now, that's a tall order of attributes to carry from day to day. But the end result of this is that we make peacemakers who sow in peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. The result of godly wisdom is peace and righteousness, which is a stark contrast to disorder and evil. And peace is having harmonious relationships with people. And the harvest of righteousness is a total conformity to God's will. If everyone on earth submitted to God's wisdom, we would have no need for police, for lawyers, and for judges. The world would be at peace and full of righteousness. And so our job as Christians is to humbly ask God to remove from us all of our worldly thinking and replace it with his wisdom. And let it show in your life. That's the two kinds of wisdom we can follow. Next, we're going to look at friendship. Two kinds of of friendship. And, And friendship is a word that we kind of throw around. It can mean a lot of different things. You know, you might uh, run into someone you haven't seen in a decade and then introduce them as, hey, this is my good friend right here that I haven't spoken to or thought of in 10 years. But friendship here is really speaking about deep affection. It's, It's revealing what you love. And so we just compared how you think, how you see the world, and now that's going to dictate what you love the most. And the options are loving the world, or loving God. So let's read those first 10 verses of chapter 4 here. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. But when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he is jealous, that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will will lift you up. Now, there's a lot of tough verses we just read through that we need to unpack. Now, what he's really telling us here, what God is telling us. But I'm going to give you another chart so the three others who learn this way be excited here. <laughs> but we see the difference between friendship with the world and friendship with God, that they have a source, a motive, and a result just like wisdom. And when you 
look at friendship with the world or loving the things of this world, it's really starting with your sinful desires that live within you. And your motive now becomes this limited perspective, right? That all we have in the world is what we see right here, right now. Kind of the YOLO mentality, right? And then the result ultimately is submission to yourself, your own desires, the things you want and the things you see and the things you understand. Submission to yourself at the expense of God. Whereas friendship with God starts with the godly desires that are planted inside of you with an eternal perspective to understand there's more to this life than this world and ultimately results in a submission to God. We're going to look at a key verse when we're talking about friendship with the world. James 4.4. 4. And he uses kind of some language that is, is, is jarring. He calls them, you adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? And I think this is on purpose. This is to kind of jar us awake to realize the gravity of the situation as we choose our friend here, the world or God. Now, the source of this is, is our sinful desires of the flesh. We're born with this desire to want things of the world because we're born into a fallen nature. And the worldly system we're born into encourages us to want more. No matter what you have, you can have more. And to prioritize your own comforts, ignore others, focus primarily on yourself. And nothing should get in the way of what you want. And our adversary, Satan, would want nothing more than to divide us all as we pursue our own selfish endeavors. And it can drive us to do big things, as we read in, in verses 1 and 2. That it might start with a covetousness or a jealousy, but end in something like murder. And that's how the anatomy of sin works, is it starts with your desires that are kind of twisted and deceived, and then they grow to the point of doing something dramatic. You all know that I love my boat. It's not much, but it does everything I need to do. But my next door neighbor has a much nicer boat than me. It's three times the size and probably ten times the price, and it can do a lot more. It's big enough he can sleep on the boat, and they often do, and it's parked right there next to mine. And one of these days I could say, my desire for that boat is more important than my neighbor. And I could just drive over there and take it. Now, the real sin wasn't stealing the boat. It was allowing these selfish desires to live inside of me because I love the things of the world more than I love God and I love my neighbor. And that's how all of this works, is that when your perspective is built around worldly wisdom of me first, then your heart is going to follow that. And when these desires live in you long enough, they'll grow to the point of doing something drastic. Because you love the things of the world more than you love God. The motivation behind this is that limited perspective. If all we have in this world is what we see and what we have. That all we want from God is what we should get. And we read there that we should bring everything to God. Sort things out in prayer. If you have the desires, bring it to God. And that's where you can realize, is this something that you want? Or is this something that God's, God wants for you to discover his will? 
You do not want because you do not ask God. This is verse 2. Verse 3, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you might get what you, that you might spend what you get on your own pleasures. Prayer becomes this mechanism to sort out your desires. Is this the right desire? Am I a friend of the world or am I a friend of God? And when God consistently tells you no, maybe it's a hint that you desire the wrong things. The result ultimately becomes a submission to yourself and your desires. And he uses this word adulterous because it's important to understand our relationship with God. It's not this casual thing where you are a Christian on Sundays from roughly 9 to 11. It's not a we are a Christian for a moment in the evenings. That when you have a relationship with God, it's, it's a relationship built on a promise, much like a marriage. And when you say you love him, it means you are to really love him, continuously. You might say to your spouse, I love you. I love you more than every other person, but occasionally I might hold hands with another person. Occasionally we might kind of nuzzle a little bit, and it's no problem, we're a little flirty, but I do love you the most. And it's this ridiculous idea of unfaithfulness. What we're reading here is the same thing. When you desire the things of the world more than you desire things of God, you're being adulterous in your covenantal, promise-based relationship with God. You can't have them both. Just like Jesus said, you can't serve both God and money. You're going to love one and hate the other. We don't get to mix our lives and our desires that when you become a Christian, when you say you are his friend, that you submit wholly to him. And this becomes a process that plays out over your whole life. But friendship with the world means the rejection of God. And the reality is, when things come crashing down in your life, because you love the things of this world first, the world is not going to stand by you as you're hurting. It's not going to offer you compassion and love. God is there to be your friend through the thick and the thin. And friendship with the world is enmity of God. There is no middle ground. So we're left with the good news. That God in his grace gives us the ability to humbly submit to him. We have friendship with God. Verse 7, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will free, flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. This is spoken to people that wherever you're at, you can submit yourselves to God. That his grace, as we read in verse 6, is more. God gives us more grace than any situation we're in. The source of this friendship with God is, is this godly desire that's given to all of us. We're all born with the perspective of eternity and this realization that there's something bigger than ourselves. All you have to do is humble yourself to that and submit yourself to God. We're created to desire so much more than this world. And the end result is this total submission to God's Authority, faith leads us to humble submission. To resist the devil and his lies and his deceptions that sound so good. And, and we read in the book of Proverbs that many are swept up in this deception to the place of being fools. 
And it says that fools believe that everything is to their good. They believe with their whole heart that it is right for them. But it is a way that leads to death. And so in verses 8 and 9, we get this idea of repentance. These are hard words to read. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. You might read something like that and say, well, James is saying that I just need to be miserable all the time as a, as a Christian. That I should be wearing sackcloths and cover myself in ashes wherever I go and just cry all the time. That's not what he's saying. What he's really communicating is that you need to take sin seriously. Now, the ways of the world is to downplay sin, to laugh at it, to be proud of it. And James is telling us that sin is not this theoretical thing. It is a relational thing. And when you sin, someone will be hurt. Yourself, others, but most of all, God. Sin grieves God. And it's not something to be taken lightly. Sin grieved God so much that he sent his son to die for that sin. You see, there's this different kind of conflict that happens. Rather than conflict with others and conflict with the world, there's a conflict inside of ourselves when you submit to godly wisdom. That there's this work inside of you that reminds you of the seriousness of your sin, that you are to repent before God of that sin. And this really means just being authentic. Being authentic before yourself, being authentic before others, and ultimately before God. Sharing your struggles, admitting weakness, and knowing that perfectionism is a prison. We are not meant to be perfect on our own, but to trust in God completely with all of our failures. Submit yourselves to him. And this is a beautiful promise I want to end with today. To humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. You know, so many people are in this trap of trying to lift themselves up. And I think anyone who lives in in a lifestyle of sin knows at some level what they're doing is wrong. And every Christian should know what they're doing is wrong in the moment through their conscience. But there's a searing of conscience when you continue to live in sin and reject God. And it comes through convincing yourself you're fine. Or convincing yourself it's not that big of a deal. And essentially, you're lifting yourself up on your own pedestal. But the beautiful part is that when we trust in God and we humble ourselves before him, we don't need to lift ourselves up. That God lifts us up out of any situation that we are in. We don't need to prop up ourselves. We simply need to fall at his feet. And he can raise us higher than we could have raised ourselves. Now I'm going to end there today just because I, I feel like that's the most important point to end on. I, I think there's many here who have been living kind of that dual life that you, you think you know what is right, but it's not, that, that you're not knowing God at his word, and, and then you straying from that, maybe without even knowing, maybe on purpose. And you're put in this cycle of how do I get myself out of it? And the reality is there's only one way out of it. 
is to humble yourself before God and say, I can't do this myself. I can't do this. And to realize that God has a better way for you. The, the reality is that God has already paid for every part of your sin. There's nothing left for you to do except accept that gift. And I get this strong sense that there's someone here that needs to hear that today. That they've tried everything in their life and they always feel like they're coming up short. It only comes through accepting what God has done for you. That you humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. And that word is Jesus Christ. He died for your sin. That he humbled himself to the lowest position, that you can be raised up to the highest position. Jesus died for you. And God has a perfect way for your life, and it's only found through Jesus. Put your faith in him. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close today in a, in a prayer. And if any of you are at that point where maybe you've tried everything and you don't know what to do, the answer is Jesus. Give your life to him to humble yourselves before him and accept what he's done. So join me with me as we, we close in prayer today. God, all of us need to come to the point in our lives where we need to choose, do we follow you or essentially do we follow us? And God, we saw today the, the importance of that decision because one way leads to death and evil of every kind. The other way leads to life. And there is no third option. God, I pray for those who are struggling. For all of us, it is a struggle sometimes many days. There's a conflict inside of ourselves to do what we know is right. But God, I pray all of this would not be for our own glory, for ourselves to prop ourselves up before others, but God, that we could just lay at your feet with nothing left and say we trust in all you have for us. So God, I pray for those who are, are struggling through this, that, that you just remind all of us that that we have sinned, that we fall short of you. We have to admit to you before our holy God that we have fallen short of your perfection. But believe that out of your love and out of your mercy and grace that you sent your son to die in our place to take the full penalty of our sin and now confess in you as our Lord and our Savior that we want to submit fully to who you are. And this we know. It's the beginning of true wisdom and peace and righteousness. So God, I pray for us who have made that decision, that we continue to walk in that in integrity and purity, that we trust in you every step of the way. But God, may we be a body, a family that builds each other up in encouragement, that we pray for each other, that we bear each other's burdens, but ultimately, God, that we point each other to you, our Lord and our Savior, our only hope, source of peace and righteousness. So we pray all these things now in your name, Jesus. Amen.